0: Welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I am your host Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on here with you for another episode. Here, going to be an interesting one. Uh, got a guy by the name of Wade Chandler coming on the show now. Wade is a Texas predator hunter. Uh, does a lot of different things in the in the Texas predator hunting world. Um, so it's going to be interesting. You know, Texas is a is a whole new game for me. It's always been kind of the mecca of predator hunting. Um, Coyote Contest kind of, I believe, started in Texas. Um, It's just, it's really a a unique culture down in Texas. I've never had the chance to hunt Texas. Uh, Maybe you have, maybe you've experienced it. Um, But either way, man, we're going to talk a lot of different things. You know, high rack, uh, night hunting, um, some of the crazy contests that they have down there, the West Texas Big Bobcat Contest. Um, And then just some different things that Wade does with uh, a company called Ally Outdoors, and some of the forums and uh, Facebook groups and stuff that he's part of with that. So going to be exciting. But before we jump into that, I need to thank this week's sponsor. Um, You know, I really wish we didn't have to to use sponsors, and I didn't have to promote these companies um, to to make this happen. But really, they're a huge part of this. Um, This takes time and money uh, to put this out to you guys. And and hopefully, if, if you enjoy this content you know, you support these companies as well. But, you know, Lucky Duck Predator Calls has always been a big supporter of mine. And anything that I do, um, you know, it's the e-call I use. It's what you see when we're filming the last stand episodes. It's what you see uh, on my Instagram page and, and things like that, you know. Um, you know, this year's been a unique year with with all the shipping crisis and ports and things like that, you know. So supply has been been a tough thing to get a hold of. So if you've been sitting around trying to wait for product to come in, you know, I appreciate you waiting. You know, it's going to be here sooner sooner than later, um, you know, and hopefully you're holding out, uh, you know, for a, a certain call. You know, maybe it's the new Super Revolt. Maybe you're just trying to get your hands on a Revolt or even a Roughneck or, you know, maybe a Riot even. But uh, I can assure you sooner or later there's going to be uh, stock shelves and everybody's going to have this stuff in stock and it'll be worth the wait. But uh, in the meantime, if you're looking for a new e-call, check out Lucky Duck. com and you can look at their entire line of of five predator calls they offer from, you know, anywhere from the $100 to $150 range all the way up to the high-end Super Revolt, uh, you know, in the $700 range. So uh, be sure and check that out, like I said, at LuckyDuck.com. Well, Wade, great to have you on the podcast, buddy. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. You bet, man. You know, the other day uh, we visited on the phone a little bit. First time I'd ever really talked to you you know than social media probably over the the last handful of years you know and you got to you got to filling me in on kind of what you do down there in texas in the in the predator hunting world so i kind of want to have you introduce yourself to everybody that's listening you know really based off you know maybe talk a little bit about your background in predator hunting and then essentially what you're doing now with with ally outdoors down there
1: right well uh background wise i started you know of the stereotypical story dad took us predator hunting one night and then after that it was kind of well, that's pretty awesome a little bit funner for me than deer hunting was so you know fast forward a few years probably around high school i started predator hunting more and more and then it was kind of this you don't know what you're doing you know educating much codes and all that good stuff yeah, this story sounds familiar <laughs> yeah exactly Yep. Yeah. so i guess it was about seven or Eight years ago now, maybe even 10 by now. I don't even know. I'd have to look back. I got a lot more serious about it and uh, was sitting around complaining one day to the current girlfriend about how there's nowhere to get advice and stuff like that. She was like, there's these things on Facebook now called groups and you, you should just set one up. And I was on a certain forum where, you know, newcomers might've got bashed a little bit. So <laughs> I set up the group. Hey, that was for, that predator.
0: Was that Predator Masters?
1: I, I'm not gonna say. Oh
0: come on, we, we talk about everything <laughs> on this. I was, yeah, yeah. It was. Did they even have that. Uh, you know, it's been years since I've been on Pre- the Predator Masters. Is is that even a thing anymore? I don't even know. I, I have heard.
1: no idea. I have no idea. I hate forms. I hate, I mean, it's this weird space. I hate forms because it's hard to post pictures and everything else. And I hate Facebook because they handcuff you so much. Yeah, you know you can't can't do nothing anymore on Facebook. We have oh, to walk yeah. on. You know, we have to tread lightly all the time nowadays, <laughs> but so, you know, because there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into it. We'd call it text spreader hunting, you know, uh, whipped it out a logo real fast. Yeah. And then started the page. And then what I started doing was I would start talking about my failures in the field, you know, and I would kind of dissect it down. Like, this is probably what I did wrong. This is what I should do. And, you know, went from there. And as I, I got better and better, you know, the group grew and grew and we've got, I think right at 18,000 members now, which we're super selective about who we let in, you know, we don't want a bunch of filth and all that kind of stuff. We are family friendly on that particular group. And, you know, now it's just a place where everybody goes to get, information uh we keep the events tab for contests and that's a big draw this time of year especially in texas there's like eighty thousand of them every weekend <laughs> yeah. uh so on our events page you can go and look up any contests and all that good stuff and it's just a spot where you know we have pl- plenty of women members kids get in there and look around uh, we're constantly doing giveaways you know contests, win free calls hats shirts all kinds of stuff
0: uh, well, I want to, I want to stop there for a minute because that's important. You know, I think, you know, me being around the predator world, just like you for a long time, it seems like there's a lot of guys out there that are super secretive about what they do, you know? And that's always been kind of my platform is I'm not afraid to share what we do. And obviously that's the whole reason behind a podcast like this, for sure. You know, behind a Facebook yeah. page like you have behind video, you know, whatever, whatever we're doing it. And I think it's important. So yeah, you know, that's a great asset for people you know if you especially have a, a page or something where they can mm-hmm. they can get some tips and stuff out of guys you yep. know yep.
1: um
0: it's not it's not rocket scientists you know out here trying to kill coyotes but uh mm-hmm. you know it does it does take some some trial and error and if you got some guys that are willing to share a little bit of that info it kind of you know kind of speeds up your you know pace to to becoming better just that much quicker
1: oh for sure yeah that was kind of like the whole premise that I mean that was the entire premise behind it was somewhere you can go to get information without being bashed. That was one thing we've never, we've never allowed is, you know, bash people for asking questions because where I, when I got real serious in the predator hunting, it was up in North Texas around, didn't, Denton, Denton area, yeah, and, uh, just about everybody in their dog called for cows out there. And it was like, well, if I can help a few people out, maybe I won't be sitting on the stand for 45 minutes all the time, waiting on this really smart <laughs> cow to come in, you know? And that's kind of the stance I've always had on it. Like I'm always been an open book. Yes, you will answer the same question 9 million times, but guess what? They might not have seen it. They may not know where the search bar is on the group. Answer that question, you know, give them, I'm real bad about giving a super in-depth answer. Like you may ask me one single question, like what sound do you use? I might type out a multi-page response there. Cause I want you to have all the information. Sometimes they don't always read it, but I want you to have all the information to you know, make it a more enjoyable outing for you. I mean, there's no, you can't beat time in the field. I mean, that's just all there is to it. You're going to have to put that time in the field and learn these things on your own. But if you have these tips and tricks and, you know, people that have spent lots of time in the field, it's going to, it's going to make it more enjoyable. You know, you might, you might be able to understand why you failed on that stand or why that stand was successful a little bit easier. If you've, you know, did some research and, you know, kind of figured out from there.
0: And you make a good point. You know, people that that get asked a lot of questions, I I feel like a lot of guys that are new to coyote hunting think there's a one sentence answer to a lot of things, you know, and they don't understand the concept of everything is a mass amount of variables involved in really any decision that we make out there, whether it's what sound to play, where to set up, how long to sit there, how loud to play the call. I mean, you name it, there's a multitude of variables. And it's, and I know sometimes I get annoyed. I'm not going to say annoyed, I guess, but you know, I I don't have the time to answer 15,000 Instagram messages with a, with a detailed response like you really need, you know? So Mm -hmm. I really hope that's where like podcasts and things I think are great because, you know, even filming, you know, we can't, we can't talk a lot, you know, because but then it becomes boring and people don't want to watch. So that's what I love the platform of the podcast like this is you can, some of these things you can talk a little bit more about in depth. And if, if guys Mm -hmm. listen and pay attention, they're going to get the the real answer instead of a generic, maybe one or two cents answer that they're probably getting from most guys.
1: Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Podcasts like uh, nowadays, you know, we're a spoke generation. I mean, that's just all there is to it from the advancements in cartridges, rifles, information, all, you know, e-calls, all this stuff is like advanced so much over the past, I'm going to say eight years, 10 years. So it's like it's rapid pace there's so much information available out there nowadays podcasts like this one and the youtube videos and it's just like i myself think that one of the most important things you could do to be a good predator hunter is be very i guess perceptive it would be the word i was looking for i guess like be a sponge and you know if you're a sponge it is what going on in the field and listening to these podcasts and going into groups and reading up you're going to be a better predator hunter as opposed to well i just know what to do so i'm gonna go do it you know yeah, yeah. you're gonna be constantly learning
0: oh yeah ever adapting i mean uh you you know and i hunt with a lot of guys that have been hunting coyotes for a long long time and they kind of get you kind of get set in your ways you know yeah. and, and they're not receptive to some of the new technology out there just yeah. in e-calls and in optics and stuff that can benefit you in certain situations you know the advancements in night hunting and thermal technology and you know that kind of stuff which we'll talk about here in a little bit but um yeah i think you definitely have to be yeah you have to be adaptable to to kind of how things are changing and what's out there and be receptive to all that for sure yeah
1: that was one uh i've hunted with kelly jackson a couple times i don't know if you know kelly yeah Yeah, know kelly yep uh That was kind of one of my key takeaways from him was, uh, which that was, you know, I'll still learn a lot then, which I mean, I'll try to learn something every time I go out, but still learn a lot when I went out with him for the first time and I had been out with some uh, quote unquote old timers pre going (laughs) out with Kelly and they kind of had, they're stuck in their ways of doing certain things and then I went out with Kelly and we did some decoy dogging, and you know, normal calling stuff like that. That was like my key takeaway is always be, you know. Be be willing to learn new stuff, try new things, and all kinds of stuff like that. Because, I mean, it's pretty much throughout life, you know, complacency kills. I mean, that's pretty common phrase, and that's yep, 100% yep. true on all facets of life. For sure. So,
0: a little bit of this advancement of kind of, you know, we kind of got into the technology stuff. So, that kind of carried over, you know, talk a little bit about what you do with, with LA Outdoors. That's down in, what, Midland, Texas, you
1: said? Yeah yes sir midland Texas. talk a
0: little bit you know we were talking on the phone the other day you were talking about you know Mm kind of all the stuff you guys do down there uh explain that a little bit
1: so ally outdoors is in midland texas and at one point it was the largest indoor gun range in texas i'm sure someone's built something bigger by now we're how many years been open we're on our fourth year been open so far so uh, out here in Midland, West Texas area, uh, predator hunting is very big time. And, you know, I know we're going to get into the contest scene, but yeah, this yeah. is kind of just a couple hours away from the, where they hold the West Texas big Bobcat, which is probably the biggest contest in Texas that I'm aware of. You know, they're all constantly growing in numbers every year, but that one draws in, they have three contests, one in January, February, and March, that one. Yeah. You know, usually you see six, 700 teams per contest, you know? Three times a year. Yeah. But so it's a real prolific area for predator hunting. So this was kind of like I did construction for years and I was just kind of tired of that lifestyle and all that. And I wanted to be more in the gun industry and predator hunting. I had a lot of goals and dreams to do all that, you know, which everybody does, but oh, yeah. You yeah. know, to be more involved in the predator hunting way of life, I guess you'd call it. So it kind of just, uh everything just kind of fell into place. I ended up out here in West Texas. Uh, Al Outdoors and TPH and there's all these other little, you know, different little companies and type of stuff. It all kind of runs in together, you know. We we take care of a lot of predator hunters and uh, through Texas Predator Hunting, uh, we offer night hunting chairs and all kinds of stuff like that. And you know, everything just kind of comes together. And it's you know, Al Outdoors is kind of like the hub, I guess you would say. You know, uh, from Al Outdoors spawned ally munitions and through ally munitions website that's where we sell the texas predator hunting chairs and so the other texas predator hunting stuff and we sell e-calls and all that kind of stuff so it's a physical so you have a physical store with these with this large gun
0: range (laughs) so people Mm -hmm.
1: if people are passing through
0: midland they can swing in and they can Yeah, sure you sell it's just like a big outdoor
1: yeah so it's like you know it's so there's like five or six hundred yard bays inside there for rifles and stuff like that. And then there's like 20 or 25 tactical and pistol bays. I don't go in there much. So yeah. I don't. <laughs> and then you have like, uh, several thousand square foot of retail and they carry you know anything from a Ruger American, which now you age can't hardly find them in stock, but anything from Ruger American, all the way up to gun works rifles, you know, those 10,000, $12,000 gun packages, yeah, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. lots of shotguns and ammo and you know sitka camo stuff like that like it's a very nice place i mean there's a high-end gun room with all kinds of fancy stuff that you know <laughs> i can't afford so i'm going yeah, there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice
0: nice but,
1: but, and uh, then there's a I website mean,
0: as well right is that just it's allyoutdoors.com
1: yeah, so, or well outdoors.com out will just like give you the ability to like uh reserve range stuff and stuff like that but ally munitions.com is where we have the tph chairs some other predator hunting equipment and of course we do the custom ammo stuff and all that yeah yeah uh so as far as munitions ally munitions goes uh we started out because i can't leave well enough alone (laughs) <laughs> uh, started out messing with ammo, uh, lots and lots of testing of factory ammo, cause I'm always wanting, you know, better accuracy and all that kind of stuff, certain kinds of bullet performance. Like I want it to be fur friendly for this and that, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously most people reload not only due to cost, but they reload to have better performance out of their platform, whatever they're running. Yep. Yep. So then we started down this long road. I got into reloading and all that kind of stuff i don't remember how many years ago now and then you know my goal was kind of just uh i kind of seen you know a lot of predator hunters especially these contest hunters were wanting more out of their ammunition but they don't have time or they don't want to reload you know to enjoy loading a lot of ammo it takes person that really loves that kind of stuff (laughs) and you know it can be kind of monotonous you know so i kind of seen you know where things were heading with the market you know a lot of guys don't mind spending more money on you know quality hand loaded ammunition so that's kind of where you know largely due to the predator hunting population in texas and you know where i kind of saw things going that's where ally munitions was born like our first flagship loads were all predator hunting loads you know like instead of using having to use certain ammo we could take and use whatever projectile we wanted due to lots of testing and everything else, like and we could kick the velocity up a little bit more because we are custom loaded ammo for some of these guys out west who want laser beams, you know. So it's kind of how we got started. And you know the worst part about it is basically since we launched the website is when COVID kicked off and components <laughs> just went crazy. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, we've been able to you know do the best we can uh we're i mean there's someone loading ammo right now you know it's it's all hand-loaded ammo but it's kind of like a assembly line you know we kind of broke it down and figured out a way to to make it to where it doesn't just cost an arm or leg now obviously it's more than factory ammo but you know it's all hand-loaded ammo uh so, so real we, quick, I want to I want to stop you real quick here with this yep. with this ammo stuff. Pr- predator
0: based, I you know I get a lot of questions. I think guys are always interested on the different rounds guys are using for coyotes and bobcats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what w- when you look at what you sell in your ammo line, what are what are a couple of the most popular lo- you know calibers, bullet types, and stuff like that that these guys are using?
1: Uh, so, for coyotes and things. Right now. Yeah, especially out here, because we, we service a lot more customers out here. That's kind of where we got our start and everything. Yeah. 22 Moore is by far probably the most popular one. As a matter of fact, we're completely out of brass. Like, you know, because no one's manufactured anymore for quite some time now, because what they did was they kind of focused on other more popular things across the U.S. as opposed to just Texas. So 22 Creedmoor is by far one of our most popular ones. And then you got 22 Nosler. We just started selling it not that long ago, and we can't manufacture enough of it. You know, I did. I wasn't even aware how popular 22 Nosler had gotten, but we're shipping that all across the state right now. Like it's, and when we upload it to the website, usually it'll be like a thousand rounds at a time in twenty round boxes. Uh, it sells out within minutes. You know, that one was kind of beyond me, but uh, 22 250 is always you know hot ticket item around here 243 still a hot ticket item around here and those are probably 204 super popular because where we're currently at you're kind of right in the edge of you go this way a little ways you're in cow thick country and you go this way a little ways you're in thick fox country so 204 is a super popular one those are really our main ones like you know 204 2250 243 and 22 Creedmore, like 22 Creedmore. Let's take a look at that on 22 like Creedmore. What,
0: what, uh, what is that casing based off? Is that based off the 6.5 Creedmoor just neck down? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just a 6.5. It's based off 6.5 Creedmoor neck down, 22 cal. It's it's pretty comparable to a 22 to fifty AI, but the 22 Creedmoor gives you just a little bit more velocity, you know, without having to fire form brass and all that kind of stuff, which nowadays, you know, you might be, you know, necking down six creed more and 6.5 creed more brass. If you're loading it for yourself now, Hornady, I'm sure you know, they were producing the 22 creed more brass and that's what our primary predator hunting load. We use the Hornady brass because as far as cost and varmint hunters, you know, it was, we loaded that with Hornady 75 grain boat tail hollow point. That was a fantastic bar round, super flat shooting. Typically speaking, most of the 22 creeds are one in eight twist barrels. And you're looking at, like, most 20-inch barrels, you're capable of producing, like, 34 to 3,500 feet per second, depending on, you know, my personal stuff is going to be a lot hotter, but the stuff yeah. we sell, we can't run it that hot.
0: And that's pushing that 75 grain, you said?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. sir. Yep. And a 20-inch barrel, you know, it's pretty pretty phenomenal round. Like, one and eight-twist barrel. You can shoot anything, you know, from – I would recommend – 69 grainers up to 88 grainers through all of you know, we've done tons and tons of testing. And, you know, anything from 69 up to the 88 grain is good in that one and eight twist barrel with the sweet spot usually being around the 75 grain. You're probably going to get the best accuracy out of the 75 grain on the 60, the lower end, like the 69 grain stuff, 20 inch barrels and longer. You probably need to stick to something a little more. Hardy like a Sierra Blitz King or you know Tip Match King stuff like that something with a little bit thicker jacket because if you put the 68 grain Hardy projectile in it, there is a possibility it's going to splash up there around 100 yards. You know, once you get it beyond 100 yards, it's going to start performing really well. It's actually very fur friendly beyond that, but up close with something like that 68 grain to hollow point, it's just a little bit too violent. Yeah. You know?
0: So if that's if that's pretty ballistically equivalent to a 20 to 250. What uh what's the difference between shooting like a 50 grain or a 55 grain out of a 2250
1: versus these bigger bullets out of the 22 Creedmoor? BC. I mean that's so let's go vision. So you know, most of your factory 22 to 50 ammo is gonna be loaded, you know, 50 55s, pretty 55 being the most common. Yeah. And you know, 50 and 55 being our most common ones we sell the most. You know that's gonna be that's gonna be fine for a couple hundred yards. Pretty flat shooting. Let's just say two hundred yards. Yeah, because so that's gonna be pushing close it. to
0: four thousand feet per second, right? I shooting a fifty or fifty five grain out of a twenty two to fifty.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yep. Out of twenty four inch barrel, you're gonna be depending on which like the fifty grainer, you're gonna be up there around four thousand on a twenty four inch barrel, and then the fifty five, you're gonna be like our fifty fives are gonna be running about thirty seven hundred out of a twenty four inch barrel, which is you know flat shooting 200 250 yards it's a great first saving caliber but a lot of people started finding was especially out here out west it's super i'm not gonna say it's flat everywhere but it, the tallest tree is about five six foot and once we get into the high racks, we'll talk about all that but they wanted to be able to the ability to shoot them coy, downwind coyotes at like four or five hundred yards when you step up to the 22 creedmoor you know it's it's a you know, it's just like I said, it's like a 22 to 50 AI plus a little bit more, and you don't have to fire 400 brass and all that stuff. So, you got a 75 grain bullet on average, uh, going 34, 3500 feet per second. Uh, basically, it turns into a laser beam. We're talking like to shoot, let's say you're going to shoot the 75 ELDMs to a thousand yards with a 22 24 inch barrel, you're looking at like Five six mils depending on how fast you run it you know and like if you zero i'd say 200 yards you're looking at just holding high shoulder at 300 and, and maybe one mil of elevation to 400 that may be overdoing it a little bit so it's it's really it would not i probably wouldn't recommend a 22 creedmoor if you're just going to be hunting like say east texas or you know, you definitely probably don't run it if you want to say fur, which Texas ain't really known for having real pretty coyotes. <laughs> but like 200 yards in, it's kind of, it's, you know, really not necessary. But for this open country where you can shoot out longer, you're you're going to want to go shoot some of these small Texas whitetail with it and stuff like that. It's perfect for something like that.
0: Well, that bigger bullet's got to carry it, but, you know, better energy too. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. hitting oh, a four or 500 yards. You know, if you hit them with a 75 yeah. grain bullet yeah. versus
1: a 50 grain bullet, yeah, you're going to, you're going to put yeah, more energy into that yeah, of. that. That's got to be a I mean, bonus too. Oh, 100%. Like I said, it's, it's really prevalent out here because it's so open and you can shoot so far. And, you know, as opposed to like, we have hardly any customers well, before we run out of components for 22 grade brass. We had hardly any customers like East Texas and stuff like that, where you're just hunting these little hay fields that are a couple hundred yards, hundred yards long. It's kind of unnecessary there. Unless you just, unless you just want to kill a more debtor, you know, I don't don't know what else you'd say. (laughs) I mean, it it is one of those with a 75 grain boat tail hollow point. We load, uh, for the archive loads when we did have brass, it is one of those, you can shoot it nine quarters and it's going to plant it, you know, nine times out of 10, (laughs) You know, so it's a little bit more forgiving on shot placement, is why a lot of people like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's big in coyotes, man. It's always, oh, yeah. It's always nice to put the bullet where you want, but it does happen. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I know Rick, if if anybody's watched the last stand episode, you might have seen Rick running a, a bolt gun and, and it's a 22 Creedmoor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, He calls it like the hammer of Thor or something like that. Cause I mean, <laughs> yeah. i tell you, it, I mean, it's yeah. blowing up. And yeah, it oh, is. Yeah. Not, I don't know what he, and I think he's shooting a. Why? I Don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, I think he's down there in one of those 50, 50 or 55s out of it is what he's shooting, yeah. what he hand loaded. And I'm telling you, man, it's it blows softball size holes in these coyotes. It's not, yeah, yeah. it's not friendly,
1: but it, yeah. it anchors them, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we ran so you know, we've we've uh released a lot of data. We don't release any load data, obviously, because that's kind of dangerous and all that stuff, but we released a lot of velocity data barrel twist data and all kinds of stuff like that on Tech spreader hunt in the Facebook group and then uh and I've got barrel twists from one in 12 all the way to one in sevens and you know for all the testing all that kind of stuff but my personal favorite was a one in a 24 inch 1 in ten twist running a 69 grain TM case is you can you can run them at like you know in that barrel I think I was push them at 38. 50 ish which that's one of my personal loads that thing is a legit r- laser beam but it is uh it's definitely not a fur friendly la- round in which we have run the 55 grain blitz kings and they are fun because you know on an easy load like not even showing not even close to pressure you can push them out at 4,000 feet per second and the blitz king you know it's like you said it's blowing like fist size of softball size holes out the back of them you know and it's it's flat out to like almost 400 yards you know it's pretty ridiculous because it's going so fast that is nuts ballistics
0: you know this we could do a whole dang podcast on ballistics and stuff i mean it seems like out of all the questions i get a lot of questions about guns and you know and and things like that and i know guys are curious you know i've never handled i've never i've shot an ar since 04 exclusively you know, 223, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people ask me all the time, why haven't I upgraded and shot one of these more wildcat rounds and, and things like that. And for me personally, it's just, you know, I've shot an AR forever and that's what I'm good at and that's all I've shot. So it's just the ballistics and everything are just ingrained in my mind, but you know, Mm -hmm. in the back of my mind though, I always kind of, you know, just being a gun guy and I always kind of get an itch every now and then, man, it'd be kind of fun to have one of these, these bolt guns and one of these cool calibers, you know, to really stretch out there because my AR is only going like 3000 feet per second with an 18 inch barrel, you know, so the wind and just 300 yard shots. Now now I'm six, eight inches (laughs) of drop, you know, and it's just, but if you shoot that, get good at it, you know, I can, you know, it it works, but for somebody that's just getting into the game, that's not going to hunt probably a whole lot of coyotes. Um, and you take the semi-automatic capabilities out. I mean, that's one of my, things on an ars i've always multiple coyotes and bomb 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 running shots mm-hmm. you know but if you were if you weren't going to hunt coyotes a lot and you thought to yourself you know uh, you know i want something you know i'm not going to have t- it's happening so fast i don't always have time to pull up my range finder and see is that coyote 200 or is he 275 because in some calibers yeah. that makes a difference but in some of these flat ones you're talking about it doesn't which would make it easier for yeah. maybe a more beginner predator hunter to say okay i it, if I just look out there and I don't think it's 300 or further, I just hold it right on it. Um, and I don't have yeah. to worry about all those extra things trying to think about. I can just think about killing this damn coyote. Yeah.
1: You know? hundred yeah, percent. Oh, oh, yeah. For sure.
0: So let's, let's talk a little bit more about equipment that you guys use. And it, Well, before we do that, let's t- let's talk about just Texas predator hunting in general. It's been something that's always been intriguing to me. It's kind of, to me being around the predator world, it's, it's always been kind of like the Holy grail of predator hunting. Like if you were wanting to go kill predators, Texas has always been the place to go. Um, like you said, contest wise, I feel like if you ever looked at a history of predator calling and things like that, you know, probably a lot of that, I'm guessing, probably started in Texas at some point. Um, at least to me, I would think, I don't know. I'm just guessing, but you know, you've been all over the state of Texas. I've never been to Texas. It's it's short on my bucket list for sure. But talk a little bit about, you briefly mentioned it earlier, is, is what you find as far as predator densities and different types of predators when you look at the state of Texas.
1: So, uh, you know, Texas is probably, I don't know, I've been in a lot of good places, but Texas is probably like the most, I would venture to say, some of the most dense country I've ever seen, especially, you know, places out west here and i've been to some places in east texas or eastern texas northeast texas types that are super dense but getting the permission to hunt the property you need to rack up some good numbers is might near impossible because it's broken up into small parcels of land west texas what you get is you know high density you know high numbers of coyotes but on big parcels of land so you can you can literally just take off on Lease roads because they're everywhere so it like stands let's, let's break this miles. down what what do you consider a small parcel versus a big parcel uh out here it's pretty common you know five seven thousand acre ranches all the way up to several thousand hundred hundred thousand acre ranches yeah, yeah. you know as far as where I used to live uh if you got 300 acres you feel like you just won a lot of you know <laughs> yeah. you know so I would say probably the best density of cows is probably out West Texas, as far as where I've been. And, you know, there's other places that hold a lot, but it's just a lot more common out here. There's places that just – it's like they're behind every bush out here. What do you think that is? But the you good think, thing about you this think that's because of
0: rabbit populations out there? Or just – I mean, the, the carrying capacity obviously is high when you look at a biological standpoint. I mean, it's got to be food. There's got to be ample amounts of it's food. Definitely, is rabbits?
1: Yeah, so – when we first moved out here, which out West Texas, about five years ago, the rabbit population was unlike anything I'd ever seen. So was a coyote population. Well,
0: Like rabbits, so back the, this up. Cause a lot of guys have never, I, I kind of have a good idea what you're talking about, but the guys <laughs> listen. So when you're talking about crazy number of rabbits, you, pictures driving down a road at night, like explain to like how many rabbits you're seeing just driving in the headlights.
1: Uh, thousands. I mean, literally it's, it's hard to believe. It's hard to understand until you've seen it. Uh, I will say this when I first moved out here, I burned up several rifles, like just went through barrel after barrel after barrel. Cause I mean, we just love, there was just way overpopulated. Like you could literally, it's about a mile from the highway to my house and you could go through several hundred rounds of ammo before you got to the house and you're just shooting one out of every say 20. I mean, it was just beyond the craziest <laughs> thing I'd ever seen. And these are jackrabbits? And, yes, mostly yeah. primarily jackrabbits, but you still have a bunch of cottontails, cottontails, but it was primarily jackrabbits. I mean, well to put it in some kind of perspective is they when the jackrabbit populations are super out of control out here, the farmers will lose the first anywhere from 50 to several hundred yards into their like sections all due to rabbits eating it up. So of the just, oh,
0: like winter wheat
1: so, uh, whatever uh, matter, they're, huh? you know. Uh, yeah, it really doesn't matter. Like if they, there's a lot of cotton out here, uh, a lot of hay grazer fields, stuff like that. So they'll usually plant a section at a time, which is 600 and whatever acres. And the first 50 yards all the way around it was just due to jackrabbits eating it. You know? So (laughs) to put it in more perspective, they had, they will have a rabbit killing contest and the people, it's like a 12 hour tops contest, just basically overnight you know, start it dark or whatever. And you come in the way in the next morning, the winners pulled up with a dump trailer full of rabbits. And it was something like 1500 rabbits. I mean,
0: <laughs> and that goes off like total way. They're obviously not counting rabbits. They're just weighing them.
1: Or what I have no do? idea. Do even know? <laughs> That's crazy. I don't know. I don't know if somebody actually counted that or they're just like, Oh, you win. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, uh, some buddies of mine hunted that one. And I just didn't want to put forth the effort. Cause I, we, we were like yeah we're gonna do it and we tested this like what it would take to you know be able to do something like that and it's literally you never stop driving you never stop picking up rabbits and you never stop shooting and <laughs> you know, it's all night and i just wasn't interested in all that you know we we kill rabbits all the time back then so you know my buddies of mine they shot 600 rabbits they're all you know big-headed pulling in the way in or whatever they did and they're like, oh yeah, up. and that guy pulled in with a dump trailer. We're like, okay, <laughs> let's just go home. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's a super high population of small game, like pack rats are real big out here and there's bunches of them, lots of rabbits. The white tail are much smaller out here. Uh, if you know, we manage this ranch and we feed year long, year round protein, everything else, and they have plenty to eat and everything else, you know, We just now, after five years of management, got our bucks, our mature bucks up to about 200, 205 pounds. And that's a big bodied deer out here. So you think the, you know, the does are a lot smaller. The fawns are like tiny all year round. So it's just a lot of stuff for them to eat. And it's a lot of big parcels of land. So there's there's not all this, you know, people concentration, you know? Oh yeah. So it's just, I don't know. I don't know why. It just seems like they have more a better pup, pup survival rate out here. You know, it's it's when you go out calling, say October, and you're calling in them first year pups or whatever. It's not uncommon to have four to eight pups coming in. You know, it's just it's just different out here. I don't I don't know what it is. I, what would be you know, what would be your speculate. guess on coyote? I always kind of ask this to guys
0: in different parts of the country because every part of the country is completely different, and it has a lot to do with your coyote hunting success. I mean, you talk to a guy from Michigan, and he's like, "Man," or Wisconsin, and he's like, "Man," I can't hardly call a coy-. well. Obviously, your densities and things are a lot different than right. what we're talking about now. What and when you get into one of those areas that are loaded with coyotes? I mean, what would you say coyote per square mile densities are? What would, what would be your guess? Oh, you had to throw guess if you had to throw a wild guess out.
1: I've been to a ranch out here that I I had it at somewhere around. 10 cows per square mile pretty easily.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. You know, and
1: that's just judging off what we saw going from stand to stand. And you know, you're you're talking about making stands where you're calling in anywhere from three to eight cows at a time. You know, it's it's not uncommon certain places out here, certain ranches out here to, you know, you'll call in 2030 pretty easily during the day, starting at noon. Most of these contests run noon for noon to noon. Uh, 20 30 cows during the day but as soon as the lights go out you'll call in 50 60 cows at night you know sure which that's, that's usually sure everybody's listeners
0: being like oh my god no oh <laughs> it's know, the guys that are cranking out you know 10 12 stands in a day and maybe calling in one coyote you know up and <laughs> you know the yeah the air, you know who knows where they're at but
1: yeah <laughs> you know it's it's pretty crazy out here as far as coyotes. i mean you do you'll have years where they just don't seem like there's as many, you know, and everybody likes to speculate as to why and this and that. Uh, but it definitely seems when the rabbit populations are up, the count numbers like, if you kind of follow the contest results and when the rabbit populations are at max and they're just, you know, it looks like the ground's alive when you're looking outside the door, it kind of seems like you'll see those big number years, like, you know, Casey Smith and Nathan Spencer, you know, killing 64 or 67 whatever it was in one in 24 hours you know the, that was when the rabbit was kind of like at its its peak population after that they started dying off like supposedly it goes seven year cycles on the rabbit yeah 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 cycling. the cool thing about this area is uh you know we're right in the edge of fox country so you can go an hour south you can go an hour east and be in some just phenomenal gray fox country and there's still there's kind of red fox scattered in between all of them you know and then this is kind of this is kind of probably one of the you know within a couple hours of every direction it's kind of one of the better spots for the the bigger size bobcats as well doesn't make any sense that the bobcats get so big out here but the cows are so small but it is (laughs) what it is i don't you know uh you're you know back when i lived in up around Ditton, denton area if you kill a 25 pound tomcat you're like oh this is trophy for the year well the first time i ever called out here we i killed a 27 pound female i just couldn't even fathom it because that that body size jump alone from 25 27 was pretty substantial but then like the very next day over the next week we killed several 30 pounders and 31 pounders stuff like that so it's you know you're definitely in the land of big bobcats kind of in this general area which is why I guess they come up with the West Texas, big Bobcat, you know, biggest Bobcat wins. So before we get into that West
0: Texas, big Bobcat contest, um, I want to talk a little bit about techniques. You know, when you're down there, you talked already a lot of brush and, and Mm. thick cover, which, which makes the day hunting a little bit tricky unless you're willing to probably get right down in there with shotgun. Right. I mean, if you're wanting to rifle shoot coyotes, you know, so it seems like the high rack trucks were kind of born in Texas. I mean, for predator hunting. And, and who knows if you're listening to this, you may know what we're talking about. You may have seen this before, but, but explain to them, you know, maybe some guys that are listening that haven't really heard this concept, you know, explain the, the whole high rack concept of, of what you do and how
1: those trucks are set up. So you're going to see it probably due to the laws and everything else, mostly in Texas. And there's used a lot in Mexico, it got outfits and stuff like that. But it's basically due to the the brush and everything, you know, most of our trees are mesquite trees and they're about six foot tall. And then our other places that we call open are usually knee high of some sort of grease wood or shrub brush, stuff like that. So obviously the higher elevation you get, the better you can see the better chances you have to see. So a lot of times, especially during contests, you'll hunt out of the rack, you know, starting at daytime and all the way through the night and you know basically what it started out as is people were just building these big racks with you know a few chairs and whatnot and just get a little bit more elevation so you can see down in that brush better now said these are like 12 14
0: to, foot high the average yeah, high seen, rack on a truck or yeah.
1: i'm gonna say at least out west here where you're dealing with a lot of shrubs and stuff like that the most of them are up over the cab of the truck, no matter how lifted up the truck is and everything else. So you're, you're looking at, you know, to where your eye level is at least, you know, 12 foot, somewhere around there, oh, yeah. somewhere yeah. whereabouts and which you will see some way higher, like <laughs> nosebleed section. Like it's, some of them get a little bit ridiculous, but I mean, some of these places, it's just such thick ground brush. That's the best way they can see down into it. And, you know, like I said, what it started out was like just a square box that you load in back your pickup due to the contest and advancements in equipment and everything else. It's morphed into this, like, when you go to these weigh-ins for these contests, you see some really neat stuff. Like a lot of people nowadays are running dedicated hunting trucks. A lot of people are like getting real fancy with the rack setups and stuff like that. And then you've seen slowly over the years, people go from having a, designated guy holding a spotlight and you have your shooters you know sitting down in chairs with a little low rail to shoot off of to it's kind of morphed into chairs and everybody utilizing arc rails and ball heads and all kinds of stuff like that so it's really taken a huge turn over the past couple years
0: so it's essentially like when you're up there on these high racks you're essentially shooting off a bench i mean
1: it's an, you're not using a swagger Swing. or
0: nothing crazy. I mean, you are on yeah. something that's rock solid. More than
1: likely nowadays, uh the primary thing is just like a shooting bench. Like there's still guys that have chairs with the actual like a shooting bench on the a swivel. All swiveled all They still run their yeah. they run their bipods just as they would shooting off a bench. And you know, there's it's it's advanced so far nowadays that if you're missing, especially running shots out of like, say one of our chairs, shameless plug, <laughs> if you miss a shot out of one of our chairs, because it swivels and you can just get on it, follow up behind it and touch off when you pass that shoulder, you know, it's, it's gotten to where all the equipment and advances and like the Arca rails and all those kind of platforms, all that stuff it's gotten to where it's made it. If you practice any at all, it's made it way easier as opposed to like you know, the old days, they'd just stand up and back, pick up with a, you know, plug in spotlight and, you know, just hold free handler gun off the top <laughs> of the truck. You know, it's, it's crazy nowadays. I mean, that's the best way to explain it.
0: And we were talking the other day about just tactic wise using these high rack trucks, you know, a lot of times, and, and we'll get into this maybe briefly here, you know, the difference between thermal and a lot of, you know, Texas hunters are still using lights. Mm-hmm. Um but you'll actually have a guy on the ground sometimes with a shotgun for the coyotes Mm -hmm. that come running right up to the truck. You can't get them to stop kind of a. Absolutely.
1: So I, you know, I got all the thermals, all that stuff, but I still enjoy the lights. Uh, But especially when you're contest hunting, but even when we're not contest hunting, someone will have a shotgun at night, which, you know, I've kind of started moving over to the short barrel rifles, you know, for a reason we get into later, but. What you typically do is you're still paying attention to the wind, although it's not like it's not like daytime hunting where you're you know trying to work a draw or something like that, and wind's super important because out here you kind of just looking 360 and it all looks the same. You're paying attention to where the downwind is, but you have your shotgun guy to the upwind just stand there. Cause I mean, if if you want to find them in most places out here, let them get all the way to the truck. And that shotgun guy could just shoot them and walk right out there, and pick them up, throw them in a basket. You know, and it's it's kind of, as far as daytime hunting out of the high rack, what I would typically do is we go ahead and put our shooters up in the high rack, but I'll go ahead, I'll drive the vehicle, jump out, run upwind, say, 100 yards or so. And what I'll do is, since the road is usually the most clear spot, like these lease roads that are everywhere, most clear spot for a rifle, you know, rifle shooter to shoot, he'll be watching that road if the coyote is trying to circle downwind of my call because I went upwind of him. So it's kind of like an ideal situation. Like there's been days where I've just heard people shoot all day. I never even saw a cow because every single one of them circled to call and it put them right in front of the pickup and they shot it from the high rack. So it's kind of just, you know. So,
0: so this is intriguing to me because I can see the, the nighttime setup, but doing this in the daytime to me, you know, out here in the, in the hilly country, you know, we're called sand hills, whatever it is. You mm-hmm. know, skylining is a huge thing. Like if you sit yeah. up too high on the hill And the coyotes below you and he sees you sitting up there on the skyline. A lot of times Mm -hmm. they'll check up, they'll start circling, whatever. So obviously in the daytime, you guys are up in this high rack. You're obviously skylined to these coyotes, right? I mean, but it seems like they're, they're still circling. What's this, what are the typical coyotes doing? Are they even looking up there? Do they even care or what? Well,
1: most of the time we'll either, you know, truck pros are used a lot out here. I personally don't like them because it does put that sound source up there where you're at. It's going to cause them to look more up towards you directly at you skylined. Yeah. So there's a couple of different things here. You know, there's lots and lots of oil field. That's where all these lease roads come from. Just white rock, usually crappy roads, but the roads nonetheless. And the for those who don't know, these are roads so... driving
0: from well to well to well, all yeah. over these mm-hmm. hundreds yep. of thousands yep. of acres. Yeah.
1: Yep. So the coyotes are just used to that traffic. So you already got that working towards you. Like they're used to seeing lots and lots of traffic. Now, yes, it's different when you're planning a call and everything else, but they're used to kind of seeing vehicles. So they don't, a lot of times they don't pay much attention to it. I mean, unless you're on a ranch where people always shoot at them, but yeah, they're not really paying much attention to vehicles if you're parked near a pump jack or something. So that's what a lot of people end up usually doing, because not only is it a big open space for you to set up on, is that pickup being next to that pump jack they usually don't really care, but we, what we do is we put the call down lower. So they're not, they're less likely to look up towards the skyline. Yeah. that makes but sense. It's, I mean, you know, nighttime time. We just run the call on the hood of the pickup and roll on with it. Daytime. Like I said, I'll flesh out and kind of set them up in that scenario. I mean, there are times where they're going to look at you. I mean, that's just part of it, but most time, if you set up your call, right. And stuff like that, it's really kind of no factor. I mean, that's crazy. That's, just something's my mind here. sometime you know
0: you know and another yeah. thing that that's always blown my mind you know back in the day i i tried to do some spotlighting up here in nebraska and i've had buddies that have tried spotlighting and more times than not for me and i would use the red lens i would try the white lens and it seemed to me that the light would spook the coyotes more times than not but mm-hmm. yet i i've watched videos coming from texas and they're just blasted with these <laughs> yep. brightest, whitest spotlights and coyotes running right up to the high racks and they're shooting them with shotguns and bows and all this stuff. What, what do you, th- why do you think that is? What, what do you think the difference is? Is it because of the oil lights in the skyline? I've heard that maybe, you know, cause the coyotes are always seeing a lot of, you know, the tops yeah. of lights of these oil rigs and oil wells and stuff like that. And they're used to seeing lights up and, you know, or, or maybe there's something else. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: This is a pretty probably a super highly debated topic on facebook and you know all that kind of stuff and you know when i first started i primarily like the daytime hunt but you got to get into nighttime hunting you know it's typically you know more action-packed yeah so when i first started I ran the red lights and all that kind of stuff and i hated it because red light is great for eye identification but it's terrible for body identification especially when you go to mixing those you know count fur colors to the dead grass in a red light, they almost disappear. It's like, if they turn their head, you can't see them within a certain amount of yards yeah. and i started messing with the white lights. And then you've seen people like the night crew and stuff like that. Start putting out these videos of them filming cows at night and they're shooting them right off the truck and everything else. So that kind of just led me down this road of why is that? Why are they able to get this cow right to the pickup when they're basically putting stadium lights on them? So through lots and lots of testing you know on ourselves meaning putting lights up on a high rack walking out looking back towards a high rack and getting behind bushes see what the light effect does there and all kinds of stuff like that it's my belief and you know we've done lots of filming ourselves and that's what that's what made us really swap to the warm white lights and having plenty of light it's my belief that if you use warm white something that's a little bit closer to like daylight you know the color of the sun it's it's less disruptive to them like when the the super bright led cool whites first came out and you know kind of hit the market you know and everybody's kind of getting away from the corded spotlight stuff like that yeah. it sure seems like they're a little bit more prone to spook to that type of white but the warm white it doesn't really seem to bother them as much but it's it's my belief that the biggest problem you're having when hunting at nighttime with lights. And if you're running a warm white is the fact that if you're not putting enough light in their eyes, they can see something, whether it be the outline of your pickup, whether it be the silhouette of you, you know, they can see something out there. If you're not putting enough light in you're their essentially eyes, blind,
0: you're blinding. To, them.
1: I mean, it's such a halo. Yeah, that's, I The brighter mean, it is, the bigger the, best, the halo
0: that they're seeing that they can't see anything
1: else behind it. The best way I, I can Describe it as that light is your camouflage. You know, if you're running a super dim light, or you're the old, the old adage, I mean, there's still people that do it, was when, as soon as you pick up eyes, you got to just barely hit them with a halo until you get ready to shoot them. Then you put it in their eyes. Oh, yeah. Well, if that. you think about how a coat, a predator in general, sees their eyes have more cones and rods than ours do. And they worked optimal in low light situations. They, they have the ability to gather more light than a human eye. So if you think about that for a second, why are you going to give them just enough light to be able to see you better? Why not give them all the light to where they can't see you at all? It's just like a cow. Uh, if you're out calling during a daylight and it's nice and you know, bright that day, where do you always want the sun? If it's like your picture perfect stand at your back, yeah, because yeah. it's going to blind them. Yeah. So it's the same thing with lights at nighttime, put enough light on them to where they can't see where it's coming from. I don't think. I don't think a couch going to stop and be like, wait a minute, it's sunlight, I should turn around and leave right now. You know, I think they're just like, oh, I can't see what, where that's going from. So I think it, it's, I think the, my personal opinion, this is based off of just lots and lots of testing, different lights and ways of doing things. It's you should put, you know, I like the warm lights, you know, and all that stuff, but you should put as much light on them as possible. I mean, don't burn them out. Don't zoom that light in real hard. And. <laughs> You know, try to melt their eyes down, but keep enough light on so they can't see where it's coming from. And the best way to test this is get up in your high rack or whatever. Do as you would, you know, use the lights you would and everything else and send somebody out away from your hunting rack and look back at the pickup. That's going to tell you a lot of things you need to know. Like a lot of guys, you know, I put this out there a long time ago and I always reiterate it every once in a while. Do as you would, even for daytime stands. If you're having a lot of cows bust out on you, sit up, send someone downfield and look back. There may be something flashing on your rifle. You may be moving too much, whatever the case may be. It's the same thing for nighttime. If you're not putting enough light on them, you're just allowing them to see you better. That's all there is to it. It makes a lot of sense too,
0: because if, if you've ever been out and seen a light off in the distance, you know, from mm-hmm. whatever it, it you there's, it's almost impossible to tell how far that light is out there, you know, mm-hmm. whether how bright it is or not. And it makes a lot of sense that the coyote sees this, but it, it has no depth perception of how close they're really getting to that yep. light because they can't see anything else behind it. Yep, makes, makes yep. a lot of sense, you know, and in, in this, pl- this comes into play, you know, into the thermal game, and you know, obviously the thermal games, you know, just mass spread across the country now growing by leaps and bounds. For me, my always downside was thermal was, was the optic value of it. Meaning, you know, compared to the optics we're shooting on our day guns, the op- I mean, The optics are not as good, so I can see the huge advantage if the lights are working. Now I can shoot my normal day scopes, my day optics, Mm -hmm. and not have to shoot the you know lower resolution or you know smaller magnification and stuff off off the thermal. Is that kind of what a lot of guys still stick to in Texas because of that, or
1: well, you know, due to the hog population in Texas, which is you know whatever million right now, five six, I don't know, they change all the time. The thermal's gotten super super popular you know and it's i would say as far as pigs go that's where it's at you know uh thermal it's pretty hard to beat thermal for pigs uh you've seen a lot more guys start swapping over to it especially a lot of guys in you know going back to east texas and the small parcels of land and thicker cover and stuff like that the guys who are walking in making stands at night off of tripod it's getting more and more popular you know they'll just back up against the tree so they're not silhouetted like on a brighter moon night and stuff like that and they'll use thermal where it's super handy out here is retrieval it's, you know once you shoot a cow i must say beyond 100 yards sometimes it's not even worth going to look for like if you don't if you're calling in multiple coyotes on a stand Pow, pow, pow. You yeah, you're using lights and stuff like dead. that you're yeah. shooting out here 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 you know by the time stands i'll be like <laughs> where are they at?" you can't see them i have a hard so, time in that in the daytime <laughs> yeah so use having the thermal for that especially up in the high rack where you can kind of see down in there it's it's ideal for retrieval i personally don't like using it for hunting at night because i like to have the cover of the lights and i just like to watch them just the same reason why i love daytime hunting i like to watch them so we We run a bunch of light, like my chairs stacked up like a, you know, lighthouse, basically it's, you know, I like to see them. I like to keep them blind. I like to get them right up to the truck, you know, and stuff like that. But you're seeing a lot of guys here lately because a lot of these contests starting allowing, started allowing thermals again and stuff like that. You see a lot of guys run both of them, whereas they'll be running lights. And then some guy may have a thermal on his rifle because it does come in handy every once in a while on a bobcat. You know, bobcats can be kind of jerks like that. They'll just hang out in the brush for 45 minutes before they decide to come prancing out to your call. Yeah. So you may not see that with your lights, but you can see him hiding over there in the brush with your thermal. You know, you know, okay, we need to stay in this stand or, okay, I'm 100% sure that's a bobcat. I can slip a bullet through there, you know, stuff like that. So you're seeing a lot of guys combine them nowadays uh but it's definitely when a lot of these contests starting allowed started allowing thermal and night vision you know sales started going through the roof you know a lot of people throw around the word game changer when it comes to thermal and stuff like that not you know it can be a game changer in certain scenarios but you still have to know how to call in the cow i mean at the end of the day oh yeah
0: yeah and i think in certain parts of the country it's it's a game changer for sure You get, you know, probably not so much Texas, obviously, and some of these other coyote rich areas, you know, but I think you start getting some of those Midwest states, maybe even some of those Eastern states, you know, where, Mm -hmm. you know, coyote hunting in general is just new to that generation of people, you know, it hasn't been around a long time. There's nobody that they can learn it from you know, Texas, there's been generations of coyote hunters. So there's always somebody out there. You can learn from same up where I'm at, you know, but out East, they're kind of learning through kind of the rest of the country and it's a different style mm-hmm. of hunting. And, you know, I think yeah. they've all found that the thermal hunting at night, you know, is the most effective way, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy and how they, yeah, it's just, it, I just, it's always fascinating to me how, how the game's changing a little bit here and there yeah. and how guys are using things yeah. and, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so onto the contest scene a little bit here with the thermals, you said, you know, let's specifically talk about this West Texas big bobcat contest. You know, they've, well, first of all, before we get into it, let's, let's just give a little background on this. You obviously know a lot more about, I've never hunted in it. Um, I've kind of followed it, you know, on Facebook and things like that, but give a give a brief rundown of this contest.
1: So it's called the West Texas big bobcat contest. They have three a year uh typically towards the end of each month but they change it around uh 1 in January, 1 in February, and 1 in March and nowadays it's getting to where you're going to see like anywhere from 500 to 700 teams per contest and a team consists of you're allowed to hunt with four people and you all have to stay together that? entry fee I think they increased it to 250 250, 250 a team gotcha uh, you may—I mean—they have a website. West Texas Big Bobcat may have to check me on that. I have to keep up with a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I want to say it's two fifty a team. But I mean, you know, that two hundred fifty dollars a team, seven hundred dollars team—that's a pretty good payout. And they pay out. They used to pay out just a few places for the heaviest bobcat. Nowadays, I think they pay up to sixth place or so, something like that. Uh, and. They have side pots, like the most coats, the most bobcats, the most fox. Uh, They just added a heavy fox category. And so.
0: So the grand, the the main goal of this thing is to shoot the heaviest bobcat out of any other team. That's the biggest. Shoot the heaviest. What's that paying out? Like 60, 60 plus thousand to win that or more? I I mean, mean, it's crazy numbers.
1: I mean, I have to look it up. I think it's more than that. It's a lot. I mean, like I said, I think first through sixth place pays on your heavy bobcat. You have to have qualifying animals. So you can't just walk in there with a 30 something pound bobcat, which you better have one if you want to even waste your time weighing it. Yeah. And you have to have either five cows or five fox. I don't think you can have. Six bobcats total, or five bobcats total. I think you have to have five coyotes and five fox. Now they're constantly changing rules to adapt to <laughs> the craziness. But uh, so you have to have your qualifying animals, and they're every single year, every contest. It never fails. Someone kills like a thirty-three or thirty-two pound bobcat, or something that a won, and they only killed four coyotes, or they oh, only sheesh. killed four fox.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, what happens every year? <laughs> I mean, I always say nothing can make you feel like a loser than hunting a contest because you can go out and have the best night of your life, shoot whatever amount of cows, bobcat, shoot this big old, the biggest bobcat you've ever seen. And you go to this contest and you weigh in and you just, you're like, I'm 170th place. Or <laughs> you have <know>, something, <laughs> something, you know, or you killed 20 cows or 30 cows and you go up there. And like I said, you know, uh, them other guys are going to have 60, you know, it's just always something, nothing makes make you feel like a loser, to like hunt a contest, but you know, it's all good fun. And you, you know, it's $250 to enter. If you're going to go out and hunt anyways, and you know, there's a good chance there might be at least a 30 pound Bobcat area. Why wouldn't you enter it? Cause if you, Man, go, out dec- you money, go out and have a decent, you could go out and kill five counts and shoot a 30 something pound Bobcat and win several thousands of dollars I don't you know a lot of money so you know it's kind of a small price to pay for what could be an awesome payout
0: that's that's nuts now with that type of money you know some somebody that's not familiar with the coyote scene what do they do um you know as far as the rulings and and as far as checking people you know to make sure the the cheating is is minimized it was obviously I'm sure with that there's been guys, you probably thought of everything, probably raising bobcats and, you know, you name it, you know. So what, what, are, what are kind of some of the uh, – and this blows a lot of people's minds sometimes – what what are, what are some of the things they do to kind of combat against, you know,
1: everybody trying to so pur- pull rabbits out of hats and stuff? There's always a polygraph test at all these contests, which, you know, yes, you can be a polygrapher. People say you can't. I've never taken one. Yeah. Uh, polygraph tests. And now – so this year they implemented even another rule. Where if you're like whatever the places are, I think it's one through six. Uh, if you're in the the running for the number one bobcat, they're gonna hire they hire they there's always a fur buyer at all these contests. He'll mm-hmm. go around buying up bobcats because we I mean we do have some pretty bobcats. They're not oh yeah. yeah, you guys do super thick fur, but they're gonna have him because he's really good at skinning animals, they're gonna have him skin it out. And uh so they're giving you a polygraph. They're going to skin it out and check it all out. And I, I want to say they're sending something off to the colleges for, I don't remember what it was. I'd have to ask Jeremy, uh, the, one of the contest promoters constantly in contact with us. Cause we help them with a lot of stuff and they help us. And yeah. Uh, so you're always going to have a polygraph no matter what. And if, you know, people are always, you're going to be under the most scrutiny ever, especially if you have a big <laughs> Bobcat, like, it doesn't matter what you do. If you win, you're going to be a cheater. Even if you cheated or not, uh, there's always going to be those people. So you're going to be under, you know, the highest amount of scrutiny because there is a lot of money online. Yeah. You're going to skin it out and check it out because you know, people are getting, you know, there's always going to be cheaters and people are getting pretty, pretty interesting. In the ways yeah. They, yeah. Uh, if, if, if it's wet, it better be raining outside. <laughs> you know, a lot of people will just they, you know, they'll put them in coolers with water, hoping it'll soak up some water. I don't, <laughs> you know, or wet wet hide weighs probably a few more ounces than dry hide. You yeah, know, yeah. it better be raining outside if your bobcat or coyote, whatever you're doing, is wet. And you know, that's I mean. I'd have to go back to the website. They got some other stuff. They they're constantly adding stuff every year, like white catch cheaters. And they typically catch cheaters every year. And someone typically someone gets kicked out because, you know, you didn't hear it from me, but the word on the street is there's some kind of big cheating rink up in Oklahoma. That's constantly <laughs> bringing animals down to Texas. Uh, That's just what I heard. Oh yeah. I don't know. If it's true or not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like anywhere, man. They're, yeah. You know, I mean, and and you figure that many teams, you know, you got guys coming out of the woodwork that aren't predator hunters, you know what I'm saying? They're just Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, and then you got the guys that are predator hunters kind of look over at these guys like, "Man, I've never even seen this guy ever at anything yeah. and now here yep. he is checking in with a big bobcat or the most, you know, whatever, uh, you know. Yeah. So it always makes you wonder. It's
1: it's typically it's typically it sure seems like it anyways, the guy who shows up by himself who stays to himself and he'll show up with something ridiculous and he's you know real cut off from everybody and everything else you can pretty much guarantee he's up to something nefarious i mean there are some guys who hunt solo and get after it i mean most people know those people but it's those guys no one's ever heard of never seen them at the contest before and stuff like that they're by themselves and they have this engorged bobcat you know those are the ones that already getting like weird looks from everybody like what's this guy up to you know yeah yeah, yeah you can use he's usually probably under a lot of scrutiny as soon as he walks in <laughs> Uh yeah
0: they're always going to be that way that's well, why i always been mean, the contest man i you, i and i remember hunting contests and obviously not the west texas one but up north you know normal coyote contest and you'd see those guys and i remember early on in my career i'd see them sitting over there with their arms crossed and and it just it they could have been the most legit killers ever, but it just it yeah. gives off that vibe like they're hiding yep. something. And yeah. if I thought that, I figured everybody else is probably thinking that. And then yeah, you know, oh yeah. Like, you know what? If I ever if I ever start doing well in these contests, man, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like that. I'm gonna go talk. It's not a huge secret. Yeah. Am I gonna tell everybody exactly where I was at, or maybe not, but you know, talking yeah. about my day yeah. and how it unfolded and stuff like that, you know, helps mm-hmm. people understand maybe. You know why you're doing better than they are. Not just them assuming you're cheating is the only way you're beating them. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're. I mean, there's there's two things that are for sure when it comes to these contests is there's always going to be someone trying to cheat when there's that much money involved, and there's always going to be some who's claiming someone's cheating. There's just no doubt about that. Those two things are going to happen. Yep. I'm just glad it, that's know, just
0: not in Texas.
1: I'm glad you know it, it happens everywhere. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> It's pretty serious around here from January to March. I mean, people take it pretty serious out here.
0: Well, I hope they're able to continue that. You know, Kyle Contas has been under yeah. a lot of pressure from yeah. anti-hunters and they've shut it down in a handful of states. I, I can't see it ever happening in Texas, but you never know in this day and age. But uh, I hope they keep that sucker going. It's always cool. Like I said, I don't ever have any plans to hunt in it, but it's fun to get on their Facebook page and see the results and see the yeah. the winning amounts and stuff like that. It just blows yeah, my mind. Yeah, it's pretty
1: crazy. Pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> well, man, I think uh I think we covered it pretty good. I, I hope people get a little bit better understanding of, of Texas predator hunting. You know, some of our guys that live in Texas that listen, you know, might get a kick out of this. I'm sure this probably blew some people's minds that never had been down in that country, yeah. you know, to kind of see just yeah. the different type of, you know, it is a to me, it's a different style of predator hunting, you know. It just yeah, you know, yeah. that's based off of the the area you're hunting, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's part yep. of it, you know, being adaptable, but, uh, but man, want to thank you, you know, for, uh, for filling us in on all this info. Once again, that, that Facebook page, Texas predator hunters, that Facebook group, it's called Texas, Texas predator, predator hunting, Texas predator hunting on yeah, Facebook. There's
1: other groups that try to steal our name and oh, it's like, yeah. there's are Texas predator hunters and you know, stuff like that. So it's Texas predator hunting. I have to always preface that because there's so many other little groups, but
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, if anybody's interested, like I said, even if you don't hunt Texas, I'm sure there's, like you said, there's always some oh, yeah, we have that, people that can be over. used anywhere, you know, I'm yeah. sure there's some specific night hunting and high rack information and stuff like yeah. that, but I guarantee you there'll be some good information there just in general for guys to, to follow. So, and then uh, once again, what, give me that uh, ally outdoors website. People wanted to get on there. ally ammunition, you know, check that kind of stuff out.
1: Allymunitions.com. That's A
0: L L Y mm-hmm. munitions.com. All right. Yes, sir. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of gun goop people and guys looking into stuff. So they can, uh, they can check that out. But, uh, but nonetheless, uh, definitely want to thank Lucky Duck Predator Calls for sponsoring this episode. Uh, I wish we could do this without sponsors. You know how it is, Wade. You know, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, honestly, this stuff takes time and money. And a big thanks for Eastman's for putting all this together and bringing you guys this content. If you like it, shoot, uh, you know, these sponsors a, a message. Uh, be sure to shoot me a message if you got it. You know, you can find me on Instagram. That's probably the easiest. Just at Jeff Nimnick. That's usually where I'll find uh, most of my stuff or my website at coyotecraze.com. Um, but also I uh, want to thank Sig Sour Optics and uh, Swagger Bipods as always.